0: and welcome to the department of metal antiquities
1: where we remember what everyone else has forgotten
0: as always it is nick cameron also of Glacial musical joined by my good friend a musical mastermind out of leeds united kingdom duncan evans how are we doing today
1: i'm doing all right nick yes not so bad how about yourself
0: i am tired as i tend to do when i when we listen to these albums if they're new for me i have been working in my kitchen i mopped i scrubbed it looks lovely But it took a toll on me, so I am, if I am dragging a little bit, there are a couple reasons for that. One, we are recording earlier so my family and I can go see Wonka this afternoon. Thank you, Duncan, for accommodating the slightly earlier start this week.
1: It's all right. Enjoy the movie.
0: I hope I do. I'm expecting to hate it. But but my wife wants to see it, so we're going. And of course, this week, our subject is the heavy metal band... Attila, not the metalcore band from modern day that completely sucks. We are talking about the heavy metal duo of Billy Joel and who is the other gentleman? Doo, 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 doo. It's John Small. John Small. Thank you, John Small. Billy Joel played the organ like Ray Manzarek along with a keyboard bass. And John Small played the drums. And Billy, of course, also sang. Now, he was credited on this album as William Smalls. Willi- no, sorry, William Joel. Joel. My God. My brain is conflating. I'm conflating. I it's need okay. inflate, not conflate. Moving there forward. There you go. So Billy, Billy Joel was credited as William Joel. The album cover is the greatest album cover I have ever seen. These guys are dressed in 8th century hun's armor in a meat locker
1: absolutely it is bizarre it is strange it is over the top i don't know how serious they were being i don't know if the ridiculousness of it is something which is a bit of an in-joke or if they were deadly serious saying you know this is meant to be scary and gruesome and we're really loud and you should be you know upset by this i don't know
0: well he, he talked about the album billy joel did it talked about the album in later on saying you know that they did do some some shows as attila they played so loud it drove people out of the clubs uh he also referred to it with duncan's favorite word uh he referred to the album as psychedelic bull spit later
1: yes indeed
0: Now, we'll find out if we agree on that. But let's throw a little background information on Billy Joel. I think a lot of people might be a little bit surprised that we are taking on a Billy Joel record. What we have always prided ourselves on, however, is the Department of Metal Antiquities is a podcast that finds albums by A-list players, hopefully your favorites, that you've never heard. And in this case I think we did very much just that. It has been re-released a couple of times. It was re-released in the 80s as uh, as a Billy Joel record specifically. And with a
1: different cover as well.
0: Correct. A much different cover which unfortunately is 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 really sad because this cover I swear to god is the greatest cover I think we have ever seen. But yes, yeah, the... It's,
1: it's the most ludicrous one or one of the most ludicrous ones. And you have to see it. So Google that cover Attila 1970 Billy Joel. You'll find it.
0: Oh, wait, they're not in a meat locker. I apologize. They are standing. They're trying to make it look like a battlefield, like they are about to prepare the meat for the troops to go marauding. Right. Same and sort it's... of thing. But it, it, what I think they did was took a meat locker and put dirt on the floor. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it kind of looks like
0: that. Because if you look at all those hooks, those are very modern meat locker hooks. And it's yep. just got giant sides of beef. And I mean, like, for these two guys, there's probably about 180 pounds between them soaking wet. Yeah, And just the meat next to Billy Joel is probably about 400 pounds. There you go. So exactly. they are dwarfed. He has a giant big buffon arena arena rock hairdo before arena rock was even a thing he yep. i take that back they're not wearing hun's armor uh mr small has what looks to be a, a, a an asian helmet however he's wearing what i would consider to be english scale male and then he's got like goat leggings on and billy is wearing a plate mail vest with a skirt and a fur cape and the worst chainmail leggings i've ever seen in my life
1: yeah from here they just look like tights rather than chainmail but i think i'm looking at a low res image
0: yeah i'm looking at a a faded photo a a photo of the cover that's a faded cover yes and yes yes, it looks I mean if I didn't know if you if I saw those walking down the street I would wonder why there weren't boots on top of them
1: absolutely
0: absolutely And that's I mean that's what this thing looks like then the now the other cover which is referred to as Attila featuring Billy Joel which was released in 1980 this is a re-release of the album And the cover is Billy Joel dressed like Piano Man Billy Joel. And I think that's how most of us recognize Billy Joel. It's like they took that iconic album cover. And you know I hate that word. But they took the iconic album cover and turned it into, instead of the negative space picture of Billy's face, they colorized it and turned it into a watercolor. So we're looking at a beautiful watercolor of Billy Joel as you remember him in front of a trumpet
1: yeah i can't even see this other album cover but there you go i shall take your word for it i think i've seen it at some point when we were doing our research for this
0: here i will send you a a a picture of it on facebook so you can see this i mean all right it it, it doesn't make any sense
1: indeed indeed So this was a very short-lived band. They were active between 1969 and 1970. But they were signed to Epic, which I believe at the time was an imprint of CBS. or Yeah, the Columbia Records unit of CBS, um, I believe they were still part of. So this is a pretty major label for these guys to be signed to. I don't know exactly how that happened because Billy Joel wasn't known at the time. So somebody has obviously come up and found them and decided that they were worthy of being signed.
0: I found I even more covers of this. Okay, there's another one, and I'm going to send you this link because I want. I'm going to send you this link for reasons. Um, oh
1: yeah, I've got this. I've got this one with the trumpet. Yes, totally, totally different thing. Well,
0: here's another one. With People the cover. can Google this one. Where it's like basically that photo, that watercolor as a photo, and it's called Billy Joel California Flash.
1: I see, but Which is that is the, a... oh I see because California Flash is one of the songs from this album. Yeah, and, and yes, if you look at the list, it's all exactly the same tracklist as the original album.
0: Right, and this is on uh... a label called Showcase. So apparently, people were able to to acquire this. Uh, this ridiculous album over the years and it's that's absolutely nuts so absolutely but billy joel let's in case anybody's been living under a rock or not been paying attention to american pop music like my good friend duncan who lives in the united kingdom billy joel is a he is an amazing talent. He is an amazing hit maker. He great songs such as Uptown Girl, which is something that I was very much into when I was about eight or nine years old. So I'm listening to, uh, oh, it, it, uh, it's still rock and roll to me, stuff like that. And then of course I get into Piano Man later. Piano Man is still just an amazing song. It's an amazing ballad. And that story is completely fictional. And as he describes in for Attila, people thought i came directly out of the piano bars but no i was in heavy metal so i went so the piano man ballad is spun of whole cloth which is wonderful i suppose but you know he goes on to become this huge huge megastar and it's not uncommon for there always to be somebody who leaves a band right before they go huge and in this and then you feel bad for one person who who doesn't make it, and then you you, oh, you know it, it is what it is. And in this case, however, um, you basically you you have two two artists that go their separate ways. And do you know why they went their separate ways, Duncan?
1: I believe that Billy Joel ran off with John Smalls's uh, partner, a white backed white. <laughs> And then he later married her. So that broke the band up. But they did actually work together again later on because Smalls produced a video as well as a live at Shea Stadium performance later on. So they obviously reconciled at some point after this. But yes, it was the relationship thing that made it all go wrong.
0: What really is the reason why I told the story about, you know, the one going off to superstardom and then the other one going off into the, you know, into the real world. The reason why I brought that up is because neither of them, you know, you know, jumped back off and went to, to become real, you know, nine to five punch clock punchers like myself, uh, Mr. Small, John small goes on to become a well-known producer, but like Billy Joel, he leaves the heavy metal genre and goes into country, but not just country. He, he also did music videos.
1: Absolutely.
0: He did rundy and Garth Brooks, Reba McIntyre, and Travis Tritt. So he goes on to a wonderful, prolific career in the music industry as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say good for him. He doesn't have a Wikipedia account that I can see. But uh, do, 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 do,
1: do. No, there's no entry there, I don't believe. But that's you know, Forget. good for
0: him. He he goes on and becomes something as well. And then yeah. they go on and they work together again while Billy Joel is an ultimate megastar. So this might be the first instance of one of you know, one of these things where a band breaks up and they move on, they go their separate ways, and then the other then the one who becomes famous reaches back and, you know, gives a gives a leg up to the person he left behind
1: indeed yeah indeed it seems that way i applaud that yeah indeed so just going back to what i was saying previously do you know anything about how these guys actually got signed because it seems like um billy Joel was saying they did about 12 shows in clubs that drove people out of those clubs so i'm wondering how on earth they got signed to epic do you know anything about this
0: Sorry about that. I uh, had water go down the wrong pipe, and then I started sneezing.
1: Oh, okay. So, so I was wait. just... Go ahead. I was just saying, do you know anything more about how they um, got signed to Epic? Because it seems strange.
0: I really don't. It the, This lasted from 1969
1: all the way into 1970. So,
0: exactly basically attila existed during the first led zeppelin era of one and two and the first black sabbath era of black sabbath and paranoid and it's good that i bring that up because i think there is a lot of black sabbath in this band
1: that's interesting yeah okay
0: but other than that that no i mean i i don't know it just says the It was released on July 27th, 1970. No singles were released and the album did not chart. Joel Han himself is going on record as describing the album as a psychedelic bull spit. End of the sixties. I was in a two man group. We were heavy metal. We were going to destroy the world with amplication. We had titles like Godzilla, March of the Huns, brain invasion. A lot of people think I just came out of the piano bar. I did a lot of heavy metal for a while. We had a dozen, we had about a dozen gigs and nobody could stay in the room when we were playing it was too loud we drove people literally out of clubs it was great but we can't stay in the club and this is an interview from 1985 which there was a re-release of this album also in 1985
1: yeah which the interview was probably in relation to i would guess um i wonder what the reception was like at the time no reception any press um about it from the time at all I know that the reception more recently has been pretty bad. There are some pretty amusing comments from Stephen Thomas Erlewine of AllMusic, who gave it one star and said, Attila undoubtedly is the worst album release in the history of rock and roll. Hell, wow. the history of recorded music itself. Um, and he calls it colossal stupidity.
0: Wow. Oh, and look, yeah. wh- I'm not going to say this is a smart record just, just
1: get well we'll get into it in a minute
0: but um but i'm not yeah, gonna say it's the worst album of all time
1: yeah i mean that does seem to be extreme and i guess going into it reading that you know it makes you have low expectations what's but, the yeah, worst is, album
0: we've ever done
1: um i can't remember i think one of them might have been a peter chris one
0: oh let me rock you that is probably the worst record we've ever done without you showing go. your hand is this better or worse than peter chris
1: mm, i think we'll get to that i think it's probably oh. all right then. Prob- probably better probably better yes
0: we'll not go well i cannot get duncan to do anything until okay duncan is wants to go straight on our <laughs> usual way so i guess you know there's there's really not much more to say on this album Are you ready to get into the track by track
1: Let, let's get into the track by track absolutely
0: well i guess when these guys broke up the woman he chased the woman he ran off with must have been a wonder woman
1: indeed okay so straight away it starts with this distorted organ which is a running feature um, throughout this entire album it's a hammond organ put through a marshall stack as far as i can tell or something very similar to that it's the john lord from deep purple organ sound so i think they've been listening to those early deep purple records before deep purple in rock cuz I guess this came out around the same time as that, but was probably conceived before that was out. And it's a very groovy, um, distorted organ flow that you've got going on the organ. The vocals and drums kick in very plant-esque. You've got the screams and he's a great singer. So maybe he's not singing how he would sing in his later years when he was doing more of the ballads, but he can do this rock voice, Rod Stewart, Robert Plant thing. There's some good melodies. It's pretty standard, heavy blues rock. Um, The keyboard is a little bit jarring for me. The organ, there's lots of it. There are a few different overdubs and there are some bits that sound like almost like lead guitar where where they're using wah wah on the Hammond organ doing little bits of soloing little bits of licks if you like um some nice drums full of rolling fills so this first track i guess i thought it was quite good i wasn't fully sure what to make of it i i don't know the, the lack of bass is a bit noticeable okay you've got the organ bass going on, but it doesn't quite pack a punch as much as the full-on bass guitar. The lack of guitar was a little bit noticeable as well, but this is not bad at all. And I guess the fact that it's only a two-piece and that you've got the keyboard overdubs and the drums make it a bit different. So I don't know. I don't think this is the best song ever recorded, but it's like a, a deep purple combined with heavy blues rock with just a keyboard and drums, if you can imagine that.
0: Have I ever told you about James Legg? James Legg is one of my absolute favorite artists in the world.
1: Mm -hmm. No, you haven't told me.
0: He was also in a band called Black Diamond Heavies. The first time I ever saw Black Diamond Heavies, my wife and I were going to the Schlafly Room back when they used to have a small club on the second floor of their brew pub it was a camel cigarettes show that's back when i was a two-pack-a-day smoker and for three got in for three dollars and they gave you cigarettes and a flask it was great and i was broke so it saved me a lot of money for the week and uh the the headline artist that day is somebody you may have heard of Exene cervonka and the original sinners
1: i haven't heard of but anyway. oh you've heard
0: of x right the punk band
1: oh yeah 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 yeah
0: yeah X scene is why those she is the X of X.
1: Okay. After yes. they
0: broke up, she did uh, like some Americana stuff. And then she also had this like rockabilly punk band, which was uh-huh. uh, the original sinners, Xine and the original sinners. And my my father-in-law ended up coming and my mother-in-law ended up coming. We were, they weren't that yet. They were my girlfriend's parents at the time. This is back in 2008. And we get there before they are and Black Diamond heavies are going and I'm really enjoying this. And I'm like, wow, this is heavy. And around this time was when I still had amazing gear envy for musicians, because I hadn't gotten my Gibson Les Paul yet. So I go down to look to see what they're playing. I'm like, man, what kind of guitar is this? And as I'm getting closer to the stage, I'm like, there's only two guys up there. What the hell is this? Mm-hmm. And I see the drummer, and he's playing, on that album, they like they overdrove. They, did, they put the drums through an overdrive pedal so you had okay. disto- you had distorted drums they weren't computer drums but they 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 had a very different sound and the the, the album they were touring behind was is called a touch of someone else's class and I look mm-hmm. over and I see the singer it is this wild-haired wild-eyed man named James Legg well he was still John Wesley Myers at the time he was in the process of changing his stage name which is always the smartest plan you can do and I look over and he's playing a piano
1: Mm-hmm.
0: he is playing a Fender Rhodes electric piano not a keyboard right. but an electric piano and he's got the bass on once he's got the keyboard bass on one side and he's playing the melody on the other side it's going through Marshall stacks he's using wah pedals he's using distortion pedals and they're playing this blues soul that borders on metal mm-hmm. that's what I heard when I heard this yeah sure And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. The lyrics are terrible.
1: Is that for this that we're talking about now?
0: Yeah, yeah, this.
1: Right, yes.
0: When I heard Attila, it reminded me so much of James Legg. Yeah. And I actually listened to the Black Diamond Heavy's greatest hits yesterday. It was one of the last things I spun on my turntable yesterday. Right, right. And I have all of James Legg's solo records. And like James Legg he he doesn't play the Hammond he plays the piano he does a little bit of Hammondy stuff once in a while but Uh he he's a lot more varied on the way he does it you know sometimes it's undistorted sometimes it's like Plinky Plink piano sometimes it's just absolute crazy overdrive and I'm also a really big fan of The Doors and yes The Doors had bass guitar on their records a little bit here sometimes and there. yeah the sometimes. last album was completely done with a bass player and yeah. then here and there there were like little overdubs not not even a whole song just a spot to punch in so not having that bass guitar and not having that lead guitar is not the what's the word it's not the jarring moment it is for you sure because i'm used to that so i'm i really enjoyed this song i thought it was really well done and i had shades of black sabbath on this one and i i agree with you deep purple very much deep purplely, this this is definitely psychedelic i'm using your word before you hit it psychedelic yeah. proto metal and i am here for it sure cool then even though they're from new york next track california flash
1: all right, so this starts with more of the same. You've got this grooving John Law desk percussive keyboard, which gradually starts off very percussive, like you can't actually hear any notes at all, but then it fades into an actual riff. The vocals are more restrained, sort of classic bluesy rock and roll style, almost Elvis style. And the general sound is more restrained as well. This is not as in-your-face, not as distorted, not as heavy. There are some percussion overdubs, maybe some congas. I felt the melodies were not as strong here. It was quite a similar feel as the previous track, but just not as heavy. And I didn't feel that the melodies were as strong. Um, You've got some twiddling keyboard solos, which could be very divisive. There was a lot of this as we go through the album and it's okay. I can see how people might love those twiddling keyboard solos. I found them a little bit too much, even here on track two when they first really start to get into the soloing um honestly i found this song a little bit cheesy and quite lightweight and even a bit silly and then there's even more soloing and it's all good you know clearly billy joel's a brilliant player but i'm starting to feel that this is all a bit pointless and eh, i'm just not digging this track a whole lot wow
0: wow well i'm sorry i um I was with you for a while like everything you're saying i'm like oh yeah ah, yeah, this is pointless whoa 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 whoa! no duncan is wrong and it's okay well i i did not love this song as much as the previous you know the previous song was a great pulls out does all the business and it's great second one yeah it's a little bit lightweight i like the twiddles though duncan doesn't like duncan likes necessary twiddles me i like show off rock out twiddles all the time and on this particular track it was hard to tell if that was an organ or if that was a guitar it was running through enough effects that it could have gone either way and that's really really what i like about it and what i also really like about it is you know billy joel is probably the greatest American concert pianist in terms of quality and ability. But I think it, he is more thought of as a balladeer rather than a player. So it's nice and fun for me to really be able to hear him go all out and crazy on this. That's my opinion. Yeah, Fair enough. If uh, when you get going this hard, you've got amplifier fire that's redundant
1: hang on no we're not on that one we've got track three revenge is sweet
0: oh okay revenge is sweet go ahead
1: all right so this starts with a major key chordal intro and it gets into more of those groovy keyboard riffs the organ riffs and i'm starting to feel like this is all getting a little bit samey the way that those riffs are um the rhythm the groove it's all a little bit similar to me the vocals here are slightly growly with some operatic uh, edges to Billy Joel's voice here. So he's got a versatile and strong voice, which you can really tell, you know, he's a great singer. um, And there's no doubt in that whatsoever. He's going from the rubber plant rock voice to the more growly thing, to the classic bluesy rock and roll thing. And there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. But again, to to me, this feels a bit half-baked. It doesn't feel like a proper song. It feels too much of a jam there's not a whole lot of a chorus. There are some good psychedelic meanderings, and there are some nice keyboard bits. And if you're into the twiddles, then yes, there are quite a lot of twiddles. For me, there's not enough to hang on to in this track. It just all feels too much like a jam, and I'm starting to get bored with the groove and the feel being similar, and we're only on track three.
0: Uh, Duncan and I are splitting the difference. I like it when we split the difference. I disagree with everything you just said, except for the part where it sounds like a jam. I agree with that. And it does. It totally sounds like a jam. It sounds like they just sat down and hit record. I've also been like in everything I'm watching and seeing, just revenge just keeps coming up. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not like looking for it. I just keep like I watched an episode of The Simpsons that was three tales of revenge and I'm just confused. Whatever. It is what it is. I I'm enjoying this. Yes, it is samey. Yes, it is a little hard on the ears, but I like hard on the ears music. It's they're doing the kind of stuff I enjoy and you can argue whether or not it's a proper song, you can argue whether or not it's a finished song. But in the end, I mean, a lot of songs out there, dare I say, Stairway to Heaven, could be considered unfinished Ooh, I don't know about that oh I said it I said it I said what I said I'm not saying people would take it very seriously but there's no chorus and it just feels like all these disjointed parts and you know maybe they could do a little bit more to to seamless it up you know whatever just making a point you could you could make the the argument that a lot of songs that are really popular are unfinished i'm probably gonna sound really stupid on that one now that i've said it out loud nick cut this no leave it in okay i'm leaving it in uh we will now move on to amplifier fire that is such a stupid thing to say
1: okay amplifier fire so this one is pretty much instrumental apart from some r's which come later on so this one's split into two parts part one is godzilla it starts with a drum fill intro and then it goes into this fast-shuffled jazz blues thing with Shades of Deep Purple, pun entirely intended there. That's the first Deep Purple album, shade of Deep Purple. It's a 12-bar blues-ish sequence over a jazzy hi-hat. And then we've got a lot of heavy jazz noodling over this walking keyboard bass. We've got some of that 60s psychedelic panning going on where the drums all go in the left speakers and then they, the, the organs in the right, and then they swap over and move across each other. And then there's just loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of noodling interspersed with this stabby riff, which they keep going back to this bow bow. Bow bow, bow thing. Um. So look, if you're into the noodling, the jazzy, but sort of quasi heavy rock, deep purple. Noodling, this is
0: this is the jazz odyssey.
1: There you go. This is the jazz odyssey. So if you're into that sort of thing, then you're going to love this. Um. For me, it was probably a bit too much, but I did welcome the fact that it was different groove-wise and feel-wise from the previous tracks. Um, Okay, so part two, March of the Huns. So this goes into this psychedelic, noisy, reverbered bit, which is quite cool. It just gets dark and weird and horrible and messed up, and I thought, yeah, let's have some more of this. Um, That goes on for a bit. Then you get into this marching stomp with lots of toms, and organ riffs and they're pretty cool heavy riffs and this is where i can see the black sabbath that you've mentioned that black those black sabbath shades that you've mentioned nick you've got a big stomping a uh, bludgeoning monolithic riff and that becomes joined by these R's and it's for me this is probably the best thing so far and it's definitely proto metal um it keeps repeating the same thing over and over with not a lot of variation and i'm starting to get a little bit bored after a while with just only a few drum breaks in between. Um, And eventually they change key and they do a solo bit right at the end. So this was probably the best track for me. Part two of this track was at least. Um, I welcomed the metalness of it. I welcomed the variation. Part one was a bit too Jazz Odyssey noodling for me.
0: Interesting note, the Jazz Odyssey portion of the song. Is the only song off of this album that uh, Billy Joel has ever put into one of his compilation albums? The Amplifier yeah. Fire Part One Godzilla was in the two thousand five box set, My Lives. and Yeah, I
1: saw that. Yeah,
0: uh, Heritage UK also did a great, and I, I think this sums up this this song as well. There was a line in an, in a positive interview note. It's just too over uh, positive in review excuse me it's just too over the top the cover the vocals the lyrics it just ends up being an extremely entertaining joke that billy wasn't in on yeah i think that sums up amplifier fire better than i ever could i don't know if that's about that song but it's the whole thing and now we flip the record i'm not going to do a pun on this one because now it feels like they're ripping off Led Zeppelin with a track called Rollin' Home, which is reminiscent to my brain of the also recently released Bring It On Home.
1: Indeed, yeah, sure. Well, this starts with fast shuffle grooves with jazz drums and some riffs. So we're into the jazz territory again. The bluesy vocals bordering into Robert Plant screams, and they're pretty good. And it eventually goes off into a straight time, uh, different riff, which is pretty good. But for me, the because w- one thing about this album is that it's all mixed pretty much the same. Some of the levels are slightly different, but the tonal qualities and the processing of all the instruments and the vocals seem to be basically the same all the way through. So that organ tone is starting to grate on me. It's starting to get a little bit wearing by this stage. Um, So... I don't know, this song felt all a bit hodgepodge together without a whole lot of direction and without clear structure, which is ironic because it's supposed to be rolling home and it feels like we're just not getting there. We just keep going around in random directions and ending up somewhere else, then somewhere else again. Um, yeah, the, the shuffle groove is not bad and it has some better melodies than on some of those previous songs where I thought the melodies weren't as great. Um but it's just, it's. I'm finding it hard to make sense of this. So it all feels like towards the end, it goes into this jazzy classical major key thing. And it just starts to feel a bit silly. It's like bands like the Nice, um, when they do all the fast arpeggiated keyboard organ stuff. It's like that, but more silly and a bit more crazy. So if you're into that, if you're a prog head and you might want the silly, you might want the crazy, then maybe you're going to love this. For me, it was too much.
0: I completely agree with everything you just said right there this is silly this i mean this is you know parody level silly this is the kind of stuff deep purple the kind of imagery that deep purple and black sabbath, sabbath wish they could have conjured especially you know when it comes to the album cover when they're doing all this stuff but when black sabbath did it and when deep purple did it it sounded serious it sounded real it sounded scary when they do it it sounds fun and that's that's where it gets weird because
1: Uh i can see that
0: at this time you know how many bands have we done and how many albums have we done from like 1972 to 1977 where they go on to become a metal band like samson or um Judas Priest where we did these records where it was kind of metal yeah but it sounded like the producers were trying to say no no this is a fad this is a fad like in Spinal Tap this is a passing thing this is not permanent it's not going to stick around they're not Frank Sinatra and then of course you know obviously based on the existence of this podcast alone it becomes a legitimate you know it stops being a movement and becomes a revolution Unlike, you know, things like grunge and punk and disco. So I can understand why people would be saying, okay, this is just a thing. It's not, it's not real, but that goes on to become real. But at this time, you kind of had to be scary. Yeah. You know, Led Zeppelin has this mystique of, you know, Jimmy Page being in league with the devil, Black Sabbath, everybody assumed they were satanic. Though they weren't. In fact, most of their songs that deal with the supernatural are very Christian songs. Based on Geezer Butler's uh, strong, at the time, deep faith in the Church of England. and But it doesn't come off as silly. Yeah. And that's even Smoke on the Water, which is kind of a silly song.
1: It's, it's pretty silly.
0: It doesn't come off as silly. It comes off as somebody recounting this this terrible tale of woe at a Frank Zappa concert, but it it is what it is. And at this time, you can't be silly. You have got to be serious, because if you're silly, instead of building the walls, building the ramparts, you're just gonna tear the castle down.
1: Well done. Okay, well, that's track six. So this starts with some quasi-classical operatic prog. There's some stronger melodies here and some pretty good riffs. You've got a nice chorus hook. So. This is proto-metal, that chorus hook stuck in my head. I wanted it to keep coming back, so I'm enjoying this one more. It rolls around that verse and chorus a couple of times, then it hits an instrumental section, and then a restrained middle eight, which builds gradually. And I realized that that was partly what I feel is maybe missing from the previous tracks on this album, is that they're not dynamic enough. They don't pull it back to that stripped back gear and then kick in heavy. They they keep it on full blast with a lot of jazz noodling and things all the way through. But then as this middle eight continues, it seems to go off on another slightly confused tangent and just disappears down this rabbit hole. And you're not sure when it's coming back again. Um, then we go into this fast bit for some more noodly soloing. And I'm thinking, no, there's been just too much of this, way too much of this noodly, noodly, jazzy soloing on the Hammond organ. Then you've got this farty bass section, which feels pretty silly. And then eventually we get back into the verse, which is cool. And then even more fast paced noodly soloing. So for me, this one was a very mixed bag. I really liked the verse and chorus quite a lot. I thought the hook was great. I was not so into the going off on a tangent, doing loads of noodly solos bit.
0: That's what I like about it. What I like, Duncan doesn't like. Holy Moses, it's the same as it, as it ever was.
1: Indeed, well, that's track seven. Am I going straight on to this? Yes, please. All right. So... This has more groovy, deep purplish keyboard organ stuff, more screamy vocals, a bit buried in the mix this time. And it's a strange mix, particularly on this song. And it's probably worth just saying, this is not a brilliantly produced album. It's fine. No it is not. (laughs) You can hear what's going on, but it's more of like, it sounds like a mid-60s production, really. And this is 1970, so things had really moved on by this stage. But they, whoever was mixing it and mastering it and everything else, I don't know it feels like it's been done hastily and on the cheap. Um uh, but anyway there are some quite good riffs in the verse and the chorus but it's all been done a lot before even on this album that sort of style's been done a lot before. Um it quickly gets noodly, more jazzy jazzy noodly noodly soloing. Um then you've got more verse and chorus and even more noodles. And I'm just finding it hard to let the song come through here, especially because the vocals are so buried in the mix. It just felt like a bit of a mess, and I couldn't hang on to very much, and there was too much jazzy soloing. Um, uh, yeah, I just, I think by this stage, I was it was all just grating on me a little bit. That keyboard sound was too much. It's so loud compared to the vocals on this track. Too much noodly soloing. So, yeah, this one was not doing it for me
0: a whole lot for me this track is more of the same but for me unlike you the same is great and i am loving this and you know i I don't know what else to say because it's you're absolutely right when you say this record is samey it's lacking in dynamics it's just it's they well it has dynamics but they never do dynamics in a song it's either that over-the-top psychedelic it's very heavy or it's blues they never found a way to meld all three of those things together had there been a second record had Billy Joel not run off with uh, John's wife maybe maybe we have a better a better written album because the the writing of this album is its Achilles heel It is just not well written. It is very, uh, I think you said earlier, very hastily put together. And it was very hastily recorded the the word of the day children today is hastily, which means to have done something with a uh, with a reckless with a reckless abandon making speed more important than anything else. Get it done. Get it out. Get on the stage that's that's for me the biggest drawback of this album going so far and i will say at the end it's also the biggest drawback on this album uh but still it's in my brain brain invasion
1: okay now this is where it gets really strange so this, this started, is where okay this is where it gets even stranger so starts with this straight time riff that then quickly goes into a noodly jazz shuffle and that is my word of the day noodly um riff with rolling drums and it just feels like a jazz rock jam and this whole track is instrumental by the way we've got these super fast arpeggios um a bit like the nice a bit like Emerson Lake and Palmer Yes, but it, that,
0: I was going to say, it reminds me of... What's that that Emerson, Lake and Palmer song with the backwards talking? Can't remember. Sorry. Everybody knows which one I'm talking about, but it reminds me of that. Maybe we wouldn't know the name of the song if they used words.
1: There you go. But to me, it all feels really silly, really cheesy. There are many, 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 many twiddles and noodles. There's one point where it sounds like a children's TV theme or an ice cream van tune um and they stay on that and they really dig right into that um for way too long in my opinion um very silly very cheesy and it just carries on in this vein and for me this is just self play well i can't tell if it's self-pleasuring music or if it's show off ego music but it's one of the two a bit of both perhaps Um, i think
0: it's something different and i'll explain soon
1: okay um But there's just loads of noodly twiddly nonsense all the way through this track. Um, It's not for me at all uh, whatsoever. So there we go.
0: This track is neither of those things. This track is, oh, crap. I feel like there should be more music on the album.
1: Uh, Yeah, maybe so.
0: So what they did was they just sat down at their instruments and just went. They didn't write anything. Why do you think it sounds like a kid? It, they probably did hear it from an ice cream truck. They probably did say, you know, cover a little bit of a, car, a Mighty Mouse or something just to did, did, did it, just get it in there. Just just we gotta fill this thing out because if it it's, it's got to look right, it's got to be right. It's got to have enough music. Well, that's probably what to me that's probably what they were doing. Now, ninety nine times out of a hundred. That on this show and on many other reviews, that's the story of the classic track that they just wrote at the end. You know, paranoid. Kisses, I was made for loving you. This ain't any of that. This is, oh my. It's it's just a jazz odyssey explosion on top of probably two dudes that were really high. I have no other way to describe it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and transfer into my sum up looks like we're going to be a little short this week, which tends to happen on albums where it's very samey and with a small number of tracks. Technically, they're calling it eight tracks. I don't know if it actually is eight. I don't know. Whatever. This is for me a very fun record. This for me, it's it's a really cool different side of Billy Joel from before he goes off and becomes a megastar he he plays stadiums in america now he has sold out madison square garden which is a ginormous hockey arena i think 154 times or something ridiculous it's just crazy how successful he's gone on to be and continues to be and this album is absolutely nothing like anything he's ever done to the point where he's not even playing the same instrument that he's known for. He's known for being a pianist, for being a piano player, for singing Piano Man, playing honky tonk rock and roll and, you know, cool yacht rock pop. But here we are, he's playing a super distorted organ. And just so over the top and so awesome, screaming, doing his plant impersonation, doing deep—he's doing like lead purple Sabbath, basically. And he's not great at it by no by, I'm not—I'm not saying that this ever could have been a hit. I'm not saying, I, and I didn't mean when I said earlier a second album is probably better written. I didn't mean that a second album better written becomes a hit like Black Sabbath Paranoid. No, no, these guys have no idea what they're doing. They are just throwing it all together and trying to make it loud that's why i said it's it's like a parody of deep purple this is what the the old people in 1970 thought deep purple was not what deep purple is which is why which is why to me the whole album is fun and it's just it's 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 just a little silly thing and i am gonna say i absolutely want to hear this again I am 100% a spinet. It's a very high spinet even with its lack in quality and I'm going to get a copy of this on vinyl now that I found a copy of it that is only 7 euros instead wow. of the ones in America. It's not an original press. It's it's later. But the like the the original pressing of this album is very expensive because it's very rare.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, so for me, um, look, there's some there are some good moments on this record. There are some moments that I like, there are some cool riffs. There are some bits of the soloing where it was pretty cool. Um, and there are some great vocals. For me, overall, it just does not stack up. There's way, way, way too much of that jazzy, noodly soloing. It just seems confused a lot of the time. It goes off on these strange tangents, it's hard to make sense of the songs. The mix is pretty poor. Um, Yeah, there's just not enough to hang on to for me. Um, And the too much of it is silly, like that quote from earlier that you mentioned where people say um, it's a bit like a joke that Billy Joel wasn't in on. Yeah, it's pretty silly. It's pretty cheesy. Um, Not enough of it is good for me. And I found it really wearing and grating that keyboard tone, that organ tone, which for sort of 95 percent of the record is the same this growling tone that really dominates so no for me this is a bin it um you know if you're really into your prog rock and you're really into your nice and elp i think you'll probably find something in this for me no
0: also if you're really into the hammond organ like i am
1: there you go yeah if you're really into the hammond organ i mean i love a good hammond organ But they're hammering the Hammonds way too much. Oh, yeah,
0: they totally are. Sorry about the knuckle crack. That's just a nervous tick. Uh, I have nothing else this week. Anything else? No, that's it. Thank you for listening. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, If you could just please give us, you know, some sort of a rating interaction, social media on Spotify, on Apple, iTunes, whatever. It's greatly appreciated. And if you can tell one friend or, you know, tweet out a link or something, we would really appreciate that. We are a small-time content creator podcast, and we are trying to become a big-time and we need your help because we, it, it's hard for us to, to get new listeners because everybody who knows us that'll listen is already doing it. So help us bring you amazing content. And we even do it to you for, do it for you for free. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. I am Nick Cameron, I'm joined as always by Duncan Evans. This has been the Department of Metal Antiquities. We listened. Now it's your turn.